Cue the scary music. If you don't look cool, chances are you're doing something wrong. I played Half-Life. I didn't know Morgan Freeman was shooting gravity guns, but... If you don't have scratches on your gun, either you're not training hard enough, you're not pushing yourself hard enough, or you're not pushing your gun hard enough. And think of them as a broken nose. Badge of honor. I don't have a lot of experience with pikes. Um, my understanding is they're very long. Dan has over 15 years experience as a Marine infantryman. I have over 20 years experience as a law enforcement officer. Combined, we have about 30 years of experience as firearms instructors and 32 years of experience carrying concealed weapons. The purpose of this show is to discuss firearms, equipment, and training as it relates to self-defense from a military, law enforcement, and civilian perspective. Hello, welcome to episode number 85 of Gunfighter Cast. I'm Daniel Shaw, here with Paul Carlson. Hi, Paul. Hey, everybody. How you doing today? How you doing, Daniel? I'm doing great. Good to have you on here again, Paul. Uh, if you don't know it, Paul is with the Safety Solutions Academy, and I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about that in this episode. This episode, we're going to go ahead and talk about preparedness, but not exactly the way you're thinking. Paul, how was your Memorial Day? Uh, we had a good, uh, fairly uneventful weekend. Um, spent some time with family and friends and thinking about the important things. How about yours? Uh, just about the same. Really good. I had a good time hanging out with the family and celebrating I guess life, that freedom that we have, doing things that free people do, but also, uh, you know, remembering uh, those brothers and sisters who aren't here that made us allowed to do that. So I said we're going to talk about preparedness. I've talked about preparedness a few times on Gunfighter Cast, more like the preparing for a natural disaster, the kind of tools focus, like what kind of bug out bag should you have? What should you have in your house for long-term food storage and, you know, those kind of things. Right. Didn't really get into any of the what's most important that you don't have to go maintain it and op check it all the time. You do need to sustain it, but it's weightless. And once you have it, it's with you all the time with a little bit of sustainment. And that's training. And so that's what we're going to get into this episode. Cool. I like it. I think that that is really one of the very under focused on things that happens when people think about preparedness is thinking about getting their mind ready and being prepared to do what they need to do from a mental standpoint, from a software standpoint. A mental standpoint, I am not mentally prepared to do this episode of Gunfighter Cast, but <laughs> I am going to sit here and I'm going to do it. I feel like complete garbage right now. Uh, I had an awesome, awesome show, and I'm still trying to find it whenever I find my expensive hard drive. Never buy a 64-gigabyte hard drive and love it because somebody's going to steal it. I think somebody did mine, or it's somewhere in this house, but... I had a really great piece of audio that I got from a good friend of mine up on top of Mount Suribachi when we visited Iwo Jima. Uh, the gunnery sergeant had just got back off leave where his he was on emergency leave. His grandfather had passed away who had fought in the Battle of Iwo Jima. And this was his first time being up there ever. And you know certainly the first time since his grandfather had died. And they had talked about Iwo Jima and some stuff while his grandfather was on his deathbed. And uh, it's just a very moving story. And I am doing everything I can to find that. I had been holding on to it until Memorial Day, but sometime during the move, it disappeared. So really bummed out about that. Uh, I promise it was good. But uh, yeah, and, and now I'm paying the price of a lot of hamburgers and hot dogs all weekend. <laughs> like you said, man, living the life, living the free life. That's it. So I'm not mentally prepared, but I'm trying to get there, trying to get focused. I, I recently had the question with a, a local group here in Greensboro 
gentleman who teaches Krav Maga at an academy. And this is what got me thinking about this. He mentioned that his students were very concerned after the bombing of the Boston Marathon for what could they do in a situation like that. Uh, these are physically active people. Some of them may not, you know, prescribe to the or subscribe to the whole firearms type thing and carrying a gun every day, but they are at least in some way either defense minded or you know physical fitness minded. And they're like, what can we do if something like that were to happen? How could we help? And he called me because we had met a few weeks earlier and said, hey, can you answer these questions for these people? He's like, I teach crowd my god, man, and. Uh, <laughs> So we kind of came up to a pretty good relationship together on this where we're, we're working together and uh, I'm providing something for his class and, you know, he's providing some Krav Maga for me. So it's uh, working out really nice. I started thinking about this and the most important thing that people could have had at that Boston Marathon was medical training. You know, just first responder, stop the bleeding, protect the patient kind of thing. Just nothing... Nothing advanced. You don't need anything crazy. Just uh, you know, basic CPR and basic life support, and uh, how to control bleeding in different areas. And I thought that was a, one of the first things that they should work on was was that medical training. And I'm wondering how many people out there do have medical training. And we're not talking about you know being a paramedic. Those guys are amazing. You don't have to be at that level. Of course, it'd be great if everybody carrying a gun was also a paramedic, but. Just not the case. What do you, what do you do and, and stress to your students at Safety Solutions Academy, Paul? Well, one of the things that one of the things we talk about right off the bat when we start getting ready to head out of the range to train is safety. And part of our safety brief is a really quick, down to earth, um, bare bones medical brief because obviously, you know, when we're heading out onto the range and we're going to deal with firearms, we're dealing with deadly weapons. And if something does go wrong, we need to be able to handle that. And one of the things that I begin with, and I really feel like this is kind of the gateway drug that can be used for people that are not firearms enthusiasts as well, is just the simple idea that while we're waiting for professionals to get there to provide medical aid, we can make a difference. And that's exactly what we should do. We don't have to have any super fancy training like you talked about. You know, you said it, it's pretty simple stuff. We don't have to be a paramedic. We need to keep blood inside the body. And so we can make a difference while we're waiting for professional help to arrive. And understanding the fact that there is a time delay between when an accident occurs, whether it's an accident on the, on the firing range, whether it's an automobile accident, whether it's a bombing like happened in Boston at the marathon, we can make a difference while we wait for those first responders. And that kind of training is very simple. I mean, really, it's it's no more difficult, really, than putting on a Band-Aid. Now, it's a lot more high stakes. Don't get me wrong. But really, what we need to do is keep blood inside the body. We need to know how to use a tourniquet. We need to have a tourniquet with us. We need to be ready to improvise a tourniquet. We need to understand what a pressure bandage is and how we use that. And maybe even some clotting agent and where it is that the clotting agent could come into play. And if we can take care of those three things, we add on CPR, being able to open someone's airway, we're going to be able to keep people breathing, keep oxygen flowing through the body until the professionals get there to be able to to patch people together and stabilize them enough to transport them to a hospital. And that's our goal. Yeah. And the only, I remember when I took basic life support class, they did not teach how to use a tourniquet. No. Mm-mm. Uh, but they did teach how to use a defibrillator and a lot of other stuff that sure. was seemingly advanced relative to a tourniquet. Tourniquet is not high speed technology. No, this, this is way old school. And you know, you said improvise a tourniquet. 
I am in no ways to give a qualified to give a you know medical class to someone at this point. Uh, it is something I would like to learn and be able to do in the future. But a belt. A runner yeah. just runs by and he's got his little uh, shock tabs and her drinks on his belt because he's running a marathon. Hey, stop. Give me that belt. I got to stop this bleeding around this femoral artery. You know, just tighten it down. It's just, there's always something around that you can improvise something. You know, it's just, you got to have the training to be able to spot those things and be able sure. to notice like that will work. No, that's not going to work. It's too thin. Yes, that's exactly what we need. Yeah. You know, Daniel, and that really brings out an overarching theme when I think about preparedness. We have to understand broad concepts and principles. And the first broad concept that we have to understand is that even though in, you know, American Red Cross basic life-saving classes, they don't teach about tourniquets, that's probably in a situation like we saw in Boston, as important, if not more important than CPR and rescue breathing. We've got to keep the blood inside the body. If we can keep that blood inside the body, that oxygenated blood is going to continue to keep the person alive for some period of time, okay? So that's the first overarching principle is blood loss, especially major blood loss, is more important than breathing. Keep the blood inside the body. But the second principle is we just have to understand, or the second concept is how does a tourniquet work? What makes for a good tourniquet and how can we improvise that? And and so we need to have this idea of if we keep these concepts and principles in mind, we're going to be able to improvise a tourniquet. We're going to be able to improvise a weapon. We're going to be able to improvise whatever it is that we need because when it really comes down to it, we might not have the tools or we might not have enough quantity of the tools that we want when we really need them. And Boston is a perfect example. I, I haven't seen the research. I don't know how many tourniquets were applied. I don't know how many were improvised. I don't know what that looked like, but I'm guessing that everybody wishes they would have had more tourniquets and probably there were some that were improvised. And I'm guessing that there's a good possibility that somebody understanding the concept of a uh, tourniquet allowed them to improvise and save a life. I'm, I'm willing to bet that. And it's contagious. Everybody responding there. If there's just one or two, maybe three or four people in one small area where they're, you know, starting some triage and stopping some bleeding on some folks, they just, it doesn't take everybody knowing. Sure. Like, just quickly, hey, take this, wrap it, tie it, pull it tight, you know, use this stick, whatever you, you got there. And you can coach somebody and, like, do you see how I did that? Okay, those five people right there need it too. Do it. You know? Yep. And so, and you know, I think we harp the on the tourniquet. To, yeah, go okay. ahead. I think we're we're kind of jumping on the, all over the tourniquet thing because it's one of those really easy things that are very commonly needed in a sure. situation that someone who carries a, a firearm for their personal protection could run into. So that's kind of why we're talking about that. And there's a big common misconception about tourniquets. Back in World War One and World War Two, and when I first joined the Marine Corps, tourniquet was a last resort. Right. Well, that was before we could get people from the battlefield to Germany in no time or to at least some kind of more advanced trauma center. We couldn't do that back in World War II. Right. And we couldn't do that in Vietnam as well as we can now. We couldn't do it in Korea either, So obviously. Where we end up nowadays is even on a battlefield in a far different distant country in the middle of nowhere, they're getting somewhere fast enough to not lose limbs. Right. If you're in a place like Boston or Greensboro, North Carolina, and this happens, and there's hospitals and trauma centers all over the place, that tourniquet is certainly not a last resort, just like it's not a last resort today for our military members. 
Yeah, our guys that are out in the field in austere conditions that are looking at, uh, you know, uh, limbs being severed with IEDs or whatever the mechanism, those guys are keeping tourniquets on severely damaged limbs that aren't completely severed for four, six, eight hours, 12 hours in some circumstances, and not losing the remainder of their limb. We're looking for situations here, you know, where we're stateside. You're looking at a situation where 30 minutes, that person's going to be in a trauma ER surgery. There's no issue whatsoever with applying a tourniquet. If in doubt, strap it on. Yeah, and it's tough because there's blood coming out everywhere like crazy. And you know, you, you've you learned the pressure point method. In my opinion, it hardly works. And uh, especially if you've got someone who's moving and, and not holding still, which they probably are if they're in pain, you know, the throwing a tourniquet on, it's a quick problem solver, go to the next person. This is much faster, especially in a mass casualty situation. You don't have time or enough hands to sit there and hold pressure point right. or any of the other methods. So tourniquet, well, it, learn to and, use and, it. And the reality is, is if you know, you're dealing with arterial bleeding, holding the pressure point probably just isn't going to work. It's probably not, you're not going to be strong enough. I mean, think about the, the idea of a tourniquet being turned with a windlass. You're using a lever to really crank down on a two inch wide band, that's this tool that's going to stop. And yeah, I agree, that but that art- pressure artery. point yeah. is a taut method. Yes. I, the tourniquet's so much faster and so much more efficient. Yeah. So, one of the things I really think people should do is go out there and get some kind of a quote, tactical medical training. I think that's a a really outstanding situation to do. Increase your first aid, you know, especially now that ammunition is scarce and expensive. Don't stop training. Just change your genre of training and head to something that doesn't require ammunition and learn how to put on tourniquets and how to use clotting agent and how to use compression bandages and when each is appropriate and learn from someone that's qualified to do so. And and you're going to go a long ways to increasing your preparedness. I think that's huge. And of course, uh, you know, I recommend Dark Angel Medical. They're a supporter of Gunfighter Cast, and we support them. Totally stand behind their gear and the training. So I would say go hit them up and find some training in your area or travel somewhere and get some from Dark Angel. But if you can't afford to do that, you know, find one of the other ones. Or if you can't afford to take any of those trainings, go at least get basic life support. Right. And if it's not, the money is not the issue, but you have the time. I just went to the local community college a couple of weeks ago and found out it was going to cost me $145 to take a full EMT course. To come out of that thing in EMT, $145. Now, time is a bit of an issue for me. Right. But for some people, it may not be. But $150, that's that's nothing, you know, for the, what you're going to get out of that. And you're increasing the safety of your entire family, everybody that's around you at all times, because now you have professional training, you know, and even a lot more advanced than what you would get in BLS. And I think that's pretty important, Daniel, because, you know, I've been carrying a gun for, gosh, 13 years now, I guess, on just about a daily basis. And I've shot exactly zero people. Um, But I've been involved in three major first aid situations where I was the person that probably made the difference for the individuals that were involved. And I just can't emphasize enough how important that training is. So there's your training. And of course, the tool would be some type of medical kit and not just one that has band-aids in it, but a medical kit that would serve in the situations that we're discussing. So the other kind of training, I always like what Jeff Cooper said whenever he said that just because you own a guitar doesn't make you a musician. (laughs) And... I heard John Lott speaking the other day, and he was talking about 
1.5 million new gun owners or 1.5 million new concealed carry holders that have applied for concealed carry permits since January 1st, 2013 to about two weeks ago when he quoted it. That is a massive number. You're sitting here listening to Gunfighter Cast. You probably take this a lot more seriously than a lot of them do. Uh, so a lot of them probably do take it very seriously, but there's many people out there that just don't know what they don't know. We need to educate them and say, take that buddy to the range, help them out, uh, give them a little bit of training, and go to a training class with them. Get some professional training. Go somewhere and so somebody who teaches it, does it for a living, and, and get some good training out there to use that firearm. Whether it's you're on a team, a SWAT team, and you feel like you're not getting the adequate training, or you know, you're like the rest of us that just carry a concealed weapon every day. What kind of training would you recommend, Paul? Somebody that just bought a gun doesn't really know anything. They, you know, they understand basic safety principles and maintenance of the weapon. Sure, but nothing really outside of that. Well, you know, one of the things that's really important for people to understand, Daniel, is there's a difference between target shooting, sports shooting, hunting, um, competitive shooting. And what it is that we're talking about right now, and that's defensive shooting. And so anyone that's that's new to defensive shooting certainly needs to head out there and get themselves some training. Now, I did a video pretty recently. I think the title of it, uh, something like preparing for a concealed carry class. And uh, that's on YouTube. You can do a search at YouTube, preparing for a concealed carry class. And I talk about some of the attributes I think that are important in a concealed carry class. And I know that, you know, different states, in some states, different counties have different requirements for those concealed carry courses. But, you know, you definitely need to be sure that the course you're taking is focused on defensive shooting. Um, Sure, you do need to know how to clean your gun. And you need to know how to operate that gun, you know, from an administrative standpoint. But when we're talking about defensive shooting, we need to have a defensive shooting course. There's no doubt about it. If you get a concealed carry permit and you take a course that doesn't have drawing from the holster, I see that as an issue. Because the majority of people out there are going to be carrying in some kind of a holster. And we need to know how to get the weapon from that holster and deploy it to be able to use it. Or really, our the rest of the training we got doesn't make much of a difference, does it? So I think that's one of the things we need to focus on is making sure that we have good quality defensive training. That might mean that after you get that piece of paper, after you check the box that your state says you have to check to get that, that piece of paper that allows you to carry, you probably need some additional training. That's the case that I see in most situations. I agreed completely with your video whenever you were talking about it should have drawing from the holster in it. You know, we don't get to walk around every day with our pistol at high compressor ready or <laughs> right. ready, whatever they're teaching. Right. So if you're going to be in a defensive shooting, it's going to have to come out of the holster. You may be wearing different clothes at different times. You may have a different holster on, a different gun on. But if you're at this concealed carry class, you should at least be taught the fundamentals of drawing from concealment in the class. I completely agree with that. And I thought it was really strange that a lot of trainers and students disagreed with you on that. 
Well, uh, you know, Daniel, I think that there are some reasons why they disagreed that from a business standpoint, and this is important that I qualify that from a business standpoint are legitimate. You know, when people come to a training class to get their concealed carry permit, they may not yet own a firearm. And so if you're going to have drawing from the holster, that means as a trainer, you're going to have to not only provide a firearm for the student to use, but also the holster. Well, that's additional expense. And some guys are concerned about that. Again, from a business standpoint, I get that. In addition to that, you know, people bring their own gun to a concealed carry class, and sometimes they might arrive with a holster that just doesn't cut the mustard. And so how is it that you deal with that? Well, you know, I deal with it by having holsters on hand ready to go. And from a business standpoint, I get it, but... Well, I want someone to show up with a holster that's substandard. Sure. If they, if they think that's adequate, they're going to find out very quickly that they need to go get another holster as soon as this class is over. Absolutely. So There's now no learning has occurred. That. And see, some people mistake learning with their students feeling good and their students being thrilled and their students not having to spend extra money. And and that's my issue. You know, I'm, I'm one of those trainers that doesn't pull punches. You know, I on some of my one of my other videos, I, I get ribbed all the time and, and outright criticized because I wasn't kind and, and coddling a student about one of the choices that they made. But the fact of the matter is, is I'm not here to make money. I'm here to save lives. So imagine if a CPR instructor or a, um, a, a tactical medicine instructor were to say to a, a student, well, you know, I understand that doing compressions at that rate makes you tired. Go ahead and do them as slow as you feel like you need to do them. Well, that doesn't serve any purpose, right? Or I know it hurts to turn the windlass on the tourniquet, you know, that tight. It hurts your fingers. It's hard to do. You know, just turn it as tight as you can get it. Don't worry about it. Well, the problem there is, we're talking about life and death here. Well, I can't afford to worry about making a student feel good and, and warm and fuzzy. I'm more worried about that student having learning occur like you talk about and prevailing when they need to prevail. And so let's have those hard conversations about, hey, yeah, that holster or that firearm or whatever it is that's going on, that's just not going to work. We're going to have to change that. And let's teach them that. And I think like you, you made a good point whenever you're talking about we need to make sure that whoever you're going to for concealed carry – you know, is teaching the right stuff and is a good curriculum. I, where I live right now, I have no desire to ever teach concealed carry. I don't plan on ever doing it. Uh, people ask me all the time, oh, you, you teach firearms, oh, so, you, so I need a concealed carry permit. I'm like, well, I've got a couple of guys I'll send you to, but I don't teach concealed carry. And I, I don't ever plan on doing that. But the guys I see doing it, most of them went to a little NRA instructor course. Mm -hmm. And then they borrowed their buddy's curriculum Send it up to Raleigh, and it came back, and now, bam, they are qualified to teach concealed carry permit class. And a lot of times in this curriculum, there's a lot of stuff, very little range time, very little using that weapon for, you know, actually in a defensive scenario or even on a flat range. But there's three hours toward how to not go to jail after a shooting. Right. You know, and I think Masada Ayub has that niche, you know, pretty nailed down. Uh, with his Mag 20 and Mag 40 classes, what's interesting is what is what qualifies this person to teach that aspect of it? You know, are mm -hmm. they just regurgitating information that they got somewhere? Uh, I, I would feel if I were teaching concealed carry, and I, I sat down and thought about this, if I were going to teach concealed carry, what would I do? I would have to charge more because mine would be longer than the state requires. Yes, yeah. that's the first thing I would do. Uh, there may be a very small amount where I talk about 
you know, interaction with law enforcement officers and everything else because I do think that's important things because someone can be injured by doing the wrong thing when a law enforcement officer approaches mm-hmm. after an incident or during mm-hmm. an incident. But uh, there is a point where you, maybe you've gone too far in the class. We need to keep this very simple and make sure they retain what's important. And what's important to me when I'm teaching concealed carry is my students surviving the incident. Absolutely. Yeah. See, I, I disagree with your opinion about teaching concealed carry. You know, I would, I would think that as far as training goes, you know, we're probably on par with offering the same kind of quality training and I don't shy away from offering concealed carry. I do exactly what it is that you feel like you would have to do. And I offer a concealed carry class that as far as I can find is the most expensive that's offered in the state of Ohio. Uh, you know, the state requires 12 hours in Ohio, which is actually a very long training course compared to most states. Yeah. Mine's even longer at 16 hours. The state requires two hours on the range and that's a range experience, which that terminology just terrifies me. We spend a full eight hours on the range and, you know, with, with high quality training. And, uh, I feel like, um, I feel like I really offer an outstanding service to the very few students who choose to take me up on that offer. Yeah. Yeah. I can get behind something like that. My problem is I would have to take an NRA instructor course. Yeah. And I plan to go my entire life without ever doing that. <laughs> yeah, that is a necessary evil here in Ohio as well. I made it through, though. Unless I made it they through. Were, they're coming around a little bit on some things, on the defensive use of firearms. So if we start seeing a change in that curriculum to where it is actual focusing on defensive use of firearms. Right. Uh, with the right terminology and everything, then maybe that NRA instructor course won't scare me so much. Right. Or put me off so much, I guess. Okay, so firearm. First have one, obviously. You know, learn to use that thing properly to where you can problem solve your weapon if it has issues itself. Depending on what gun you are, you're shooting, you may have that problem more often than others. So that's another thing to look at when you're looking at your gear. But nothing's going to replace that training. You're going to, by going and getting the training, I talked on a minute ago about figuring out that holster is not going to work for you. You're going to learn these things. You're going to learn things that, uh, wow, I thought this worked well. I thought my setup was great, or I thought my, my pistol was great, but I've pulled it out of the holster five times during this course, and the first shot went click. Well, we can't have that happen in a situation you know, where that thing cannot go click. We have to have a bank. So those are things you're going to get as well, uh, aside from just the the whole training that you're going to have yourself. Yeah, and good quality training really helps to try and highlight those situations and put you in the worst case scenario that you can be in in a training standpoint. Now, don't think for a second that I'm telling you that, you know, training is going to be the same as being in some kind of a life-threatening incident. But good training can take the aspects of that life-threatening incident and put them into play so that you find the weak weak points of your holster, of your firearm, uh, of the combination of the two. And that's really what it is we want to do is we want to find those failures. We want to push to the failure point in training so that we don't have that failure point take place when it really makes the difference. Yeah. Every course I've ever been to, I've always found something that I needed to work on, something that I could get better at. And that is one of the most important things that you're going to take away from it. Even if you've been to multiple courses and you're very experienced and you train often, going and taking a course, you're going to be introduced to something that you could do better. You need to work on. You know, and it, it's perishable. Drawing from the holster safely and quickly is a very perishable skill. Fortunately, we can do that one pretty often without any cost of ammunition. There is training that can make you do that faster, make you push it. 
and you have an instructor pushing you and your peers next to you pushing you. It's a whole new environment where it's just straight learning and everybody needs to get in it. Absolutely. The reason we kind of brought all this up and I probably should have introduced the whole episode with this was, you know, I was thinking about all the different situations where our civilian populace, not military, not law enforcement, have been the first line of defense against terrorists to decrease the damage after an incident. And it happens all the time, whether you're talking about, you know, the Boston Marathon bombing where civilians came from everywhere and they were still thought that they could be in danger, but, you know, still risk their lives to go help people that were down and hurt. And I think you haven't seen the data on it, but I have no doubt from the videos I've seen and, and the interviews that there was a lot of lives saved and limbs saved because of the actions of, you know, courageous individuals that were just bystanders until something bad happened. Right. And then they, they took it upon themselves the initiative to go, you know, save lives. And I commend them. That was awesome. The underwear bomber in uh, Christmas Day, he passed every single one of the professionals, mm-hmm. so-called professionals, passed them all. And that incident was stopped by passengers on the airplane. We could go on and on about many different cases like this, but it all comes down to it that I've said this, I think Justin and I, in one of our early episodes, we talked about civilians being the first line of defense, and I believe it more and more every time something happens, we see it happening, and just that statement is just always proved every single time. But if you want to be part of that first line defense, you know, I think just owning that firearm and going out and taking the time and downloading a podcast you obviously have interest in it, so you're going to be a cut above most everybody else because I'm sure you're not listening to only Gunfighter Cast. You're listening to other things. I would say if you've been on the fence about that training, go get it. Get that basic life support, maybe that EMT, maybe the tactical medicine, whatever's in your budget or in your time frame. Go get the firearms training. Make sure that you are prepared to win that fight, to survive that critical incident. Yeah, I agree, Daniel. So, so let's say a person out there has gotten their, you know, basic first aid. They've gotten a little bit of tactical medicine. They've got their concealed carry permit. They carry their gear. What would be the next step that you would recommend for them to do as far as training goes to be ready for these kinds of situations? <laughs> well, I'd say take a course with Paratus Academy. <laughs> yeah, I agree <laughs> with that. No doubt about it. Or Safety Solutions Academy. Yeah, there you go. We could do that as well. Sure. You know, one of the things I like to talk to people about is just the idea of, you know, just because you have a gun and just because you're trained to use that gun doesn't mean that you're all set when it comes to training. You know, medical is usually the first place I send people after they get their firearms training, if they haven't already done that. And then, you know, I think unarmed self-defense is very important as well. Certainly. I think so, too. You reminded me of something there. I've been running into the issue here locally. People want a little help or run a range and, you know, I offer or they ask me to take, go to the range with them. And I get the same thing every time. Oh, I've been shooting my whole life. And, uh, yeah. Like, and some of them, you know, they have some really good, some good fundamentals down and they're, they're doing a lot of things right. But it's almost like they, it's a macho thing and they don't, I can't be trained anymore. And then they allow me to show them, you know, fix their grip a little bit or right. do something small. And they're like, the eyes light up like, wow, that made a huge difference. And well, it's just so, so yeah. tiny. 
That's that uh, that difference between being a shooter and being a defensive shooter. And I had this conversation via text message recently with a family member. They were, you know, talking about somebody that was looking for a new gun club. And I, you know, threw in my little sales pitch. Hey, let me know if they need some training. Oh, no, 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 no. This person's an experienced marksman. And my reply was simple. Great. I don't teach marksmanship. That's not, that's not what we do. And we have to understand that there's a difference between the defensive nature of defensive shooting that we're talking about and the competition, the games and the fun that we have with guns. That's huge. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But you, you mentioned the unarmed. I, I yeah. felt, you know, even with the Marine Corps training and the martial arts program, the Marine Corps has, and, uh, I've went on my own numerous times and took some BJJ and, uh, uh, combat submission wrestling, and I, I like that stuff. And yeah. you know, I, I know a little bit of it, and I could perform it. But I feel that that is one area where I'm deficient right now. My use of a handgun and rifle are on one level. My medical is lower than that, and then my unarmed ability is below all those. Uh, at least to the point where I'd be very confident in different types of situations where I'd be, you know, unarmed. So I want to increase that. So what I did was went and found a Krav Maga trainer who knew what he was doing and very reputable and has all the certificates that are right underneath the man who made all the stuff. Right. So I, I found the right person to train me. And uh, so that, that's kind of where I'm at right now. You know, I recommend people do the exact same thing. Interestingly, that we have a very cool course coming up in uh, in August. Yeah. And you invited me to this a while back, and it's been kind of a growing thing that nobody's ever really talked about yet. I thought it was a really cool concept right off the bat when you asked me if you wanted me to get involved, if I wanted to be involved in it. I was like, heck yeah, I'm all over it. But it's a, uh, a zero to a thousand. Yeah. A zero to a thousand yards. We're talking about unarmed combat, uh, knife close in with the pistol and the social distances that we're typically going to be in fights in with a handgun to short range to medium range rifle and then long range bolt gun stuff. Absolutely. And we've got a a great lineup of instructors coming and I'm really excited about the event, you know, um, starting out at the close distances. I think it's so important that firearms owners get out there and get that unarmed training. First of all, uh, you know, we all understand that there are times and places where we either don't have our firearm or we can't have our firearm. And we're going to need to have some kind of skills to be able to defend ourselves in those situations. And, and we can't just use of a firearm is not justified at that point. Well, whether it, you yeah, have it or not. Absolutely, Daniel. That's a huge issue. And again, that goes back to that mag 20 you were talking about is understanding when that is and when that isn't. That's that's definitely a huge issue. And then we get into the the other circumstance that I like to talk about with people is when a firearm is justified but we can't access the firearm that we're carrying because we're involved in an entanglement with someone else and accessing that firearm is impossible because they're controlling our body or we're going to instigate a a struggle for that gun, which doesn't help out the situation. And so, you know, what I've done is I brought one of the people that I've been training with for years in the situation. You brought up Krav Maga. Uh, This is Brian Bastinelli. He's a a police officer of many years with a lot of experience. Um, He teaches some unarmed combative skills that are just really parallel to none in the industry. I mean, he is, he's really head and shoulders above 
what a lot of other people are doing. Um, and so I'm really excited to have Brian out to the event to take care of that zero meter distance. Um, I really, I, I count on Brian a lot when it comes to advanced unarmed combatives training. When I train you know, security teams or work with other individuals that gets beyond my depth. He's my go-to person on that. And I've been uh, spending a lot of time with Brian over the years. So I'm excited about that. And then, you know, knives, (laughs) gun guys usually are knife guys as well. And yet, yeah, you know, how much, how much time does a person spend training with their knife um, from a defensive standpoint? And I don't know about you, but I don't have a whole lot of time in training knives. Um, I've worried, yeah, I've worried a lot about knife defenses. Um, cause that's something that concerns me, but in actually using that knife as a defensive tool, I haven't thought about it much. So, uh, one of my, uh, combat focused shooting instructing, uh, peers, Alessandro Padovani, uh, he's out of California. He's going to be coming in to take care of some knife training and his safer, faster knife defense course is really outstanding. I went down and spent a day with him in Columbus. I guess it was probably about nine months ago and, you know, took a look at that program and I'm really impressed with what Alessandro has there. It's, it's pretty slick. Um, so I'm looking forward to having him come in and deal with helping people understand how they can use a knife efficiently when it comes to that critical, you know, life threatening incident to be able to defend themselves and take care of the situation. Um, so that's that's going to be pretty cool. Uh, then we get up to the handgun stuff, you know, maybe dealing with uh, two, three, five yards. Um, some really cool guy. Do you, do you remember his name, uh, Daniel? I don't. He's got a big beard. Oh, yeah, that's right. I'm doing uh, some combat-focused shooting. I'll be out there teaching handgun stuff. If you want to find out more about that, you can head to my website at safetysolutionsacademy.com and and read about combat-focused shooting. And then there's this really cool guy that I met recently, clean-shaven, but uh, stunning nonetheless. Uh, Daniel Shaw is going to be taking care of some carbine class. Uh, Why don't you tell us about what you're going to be doing with the the rifle, Daniel? Well, the idea of the whole Warrior Summit is we have to increase the range. Uh, typically, a lot of things I would do would be, you know, up close in household distances that people would typically be fighting in in their you know, in the home defense type scenario. But there's also going to be some involvement with a lot of guys that are on teams and that do this for a living. I'm going to make sure that people leave this course understanding the capabilities of the rifle and how far that thing can reach and how accurate it can. Uh, also, you know, just running the piss out of that gun up close and, you know, incorporating use of cover and basically keeping your body and your gun in the fight. Outstanding. I'm really looking forward to seeing what it is that you teach with the rifle. Um, You know, I've obviously got my experience with the rifle, but it comes from a different background from the counter ambush standpoint. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what, uh, you know, the top tier of the Marine Corps has to say about how an M4 runs. Or should I bring my AK-47? I will have an ak and an AR, and hopefully a Tavor by then. So I don't know. Ooh. <laughs> might, might run a different one each day if this thing ends up going. Nice. I'm teaching it as many days in a row. But I'm secretly hoping that I'm not teaching every day. I just teach one day so I can go get that knife training and the hand-to-hand training. Yeah, that is kind of focus. that is kind of a uh, a little catch-22 of the program. The, uh, the last fellow we're bringing out is Adam Wilson of One MOA Solutions. And Adam is going to take care of, you know, the 200-yard and beyond distances. Adam is the lead sniper at Fort Bliss currently, but not for long of the U.S. Army, if I understand things correctly correctly. And uh, Adam really knows 
what it is that's going on with that precision rifle at distance. And so he's going to be teaching a long range rifle course to help people understand how to apply those fundamentals uh, out to the distances out to, you know, 700, 800, 900 meters. And that's really going to kind of round out the course. And I got to tell you, I am, I'm thrilled, number one, to be working with such a great group of guys. Um, you know, both Brian, Alessandro, yourself, and Adam are all guys that I've really enjoyed working with in the past. I'm looking forward to it again. Number two, I'm thrilled about our, our setup with where it is we're going to be having the event. Um, and actually, you'll be up here at the end of June. You'll get to check out the, the, um, the place. I can't wait to show you this range. Um, it is outstanding. And we have, you know, we can be running all of these events concurrently at this venue, you know, all the way from a thousand meters right on down to zero meters and everything in between, uh, camping on site, um, food and refreshments, if you will, not too far away. And so I'm really looking forward to having people out to, uh, Garrettsville, Ohio for this event at, uh, it's actually Labor Day weekend coming up at the end of August. I'll be there. Yes, you will. Yes, you will. Like it or not. And uh, I don't know, actually, if the website is live today or not. Um, I'm going to start hammering on my keyboard here and and check it right now while we're talking. We were making some adjustments to it uh, yesterday, Um, but I'm guessing that the site is going live within the next 24 hours, and you'll find it at uh, www.warrior-summit.com. And uh, yeah, the... the, uh, Website is up and instructor bios are up and things like that. So you can start to, you know, take a look at uh, what's going on with the Warrior Summit and make sure you check back often because we're going to be updating that and uh, you're going to want to get in on it. So come join us up there for that Warrior Summit. But I'll also be in Ohio hanging out with Paul here at the end of June. Yes. Much sooner. And this is going to be a good time. Going to come up there. We've already, it's filling up pretty quick too. So yeah. if you have it, I've been posting on GunfighterCast a couple of times, and I saw you post it a couple of times, but we haven't really talked about it much. Right. It's one day of combat-focused shooting from Paul, and then one day of Daniel Shaw, Paratus Academy, handgun course. Uh, we very slightly, we don't agree on everything. So you're going to get two different point of views, and also uh, maybe two different sets of techniques on uh, numerous different things. And it's going to be a great learning experience. Uh, I think for uh, for anybody that comes out, because you're going to be hit with a lot of knowledge from you know two different directions in two days. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about that event. And uh, over the weekend, unfortunately, we had a little bit of downtime on the website. Again, we were making some changes, and I, I don't know, I broke something. I'm a gun guy, not a web guy. That's my excuse. But uh, um, we got everything back up and running, and have gotten some registrations since the site's been back up. So we know everything's working well. And uh, you know, it's it's going to be a good weekend. We're talking about the last weekend in June here, and uh, I'm really looking forward to. Uh, number one, being able to teach a group of students that might not have find, found me if it wasn't for Gunfighter Cast. So that's always cool to branch out to new people. But I'm also really kind of excited to look at how it is that you as an instructor teach things. Uh, it's one of the things that I always do as I go to a class as a student, is I look and say, okay, you know, what's this instructor got that I want to put into, you know, my little, um, magic quiver as an instructor and and take with me so you know i'm looking forward to stealing some good information from you daniel well you saw a little bit way out of context as we filmed the vitals of defense and we were both like 
didn't know what we were doing and there's lights on us and <laughs> that was we have different. To, you have to qualify. Didn't know what we were doing. <laughs> yeah. Oh dude. It was so rough. The, uh, filming a video. I talked about it with John. So the listeners have already heard me yes. talk about how much of a pain it is. And I did not realize it was such a hard thing to do. Yeah. It's really, it's really kind of different because, um, you just don't have any frame of reference as to what it is you're doing. You know, when I'm teaching a class, we can talk about what's going to happen because things are, con- uh, are, are um, sequential. But here yeah, when we're... Yeah, it's kind of linear. And here it's like, okay, now do this. Okay, now do that. Yeah. yeah. Like, well, I don't want to hear about this crap. <laughs> but there does seem to be a lot of interest in seeing these videos and they should be out by the end of the week. Yeah, that's going to be awesome. Cannot wait. Yeah, I'm looking forward great. to it. Yeah. My, my beard is excited as well, so... If you're interested in that class that uh, we've got going on at the end of June 29th and 30th, solutionsacademy.com, on the top of the page, there's a a, a featured post. It's right there. Click on that, and you can register right through there and spend a day with Daniel and I learning how to run your handgun a little bit more efficiently, and I think you'll have a good time. We've got ammo available if you need it. Yep. Something else that we failed to mention that we're going to talk about in preparedness but somehow slipped our minds was being physically prepared. (laughs) I've been... Not talked about it a whole lot in Gunfighter Cast, but since I wrote that article about running and carrying at the same time and being physically prepared, I've had a lot of good response from that. A lot of emails from people talking about my story and that and how, you know, they've decided that, you know, they need to go do something as well and get some physical training. And that's something that we don't need to overlook. There's so many people out there. We, I mean, just go to a gun show. Look at the size of the people. They're right. all carrying guns and they're all in uh, one of us. You know, we all have buddies like that and we need to. We need to encourage those buddies to get out and, you know, get a little bit of physical training so that they will be able to perform if something bad happens and uh, maybe have to perform for, you know, a prolonged amount of time. And when I say a prolonged amount of time, I'm talking like two or three minutes. You know, that's going to be a long time whenever you're going full tilt. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. There's no sense in surviving a gunfight to die of a heart attack in the minutes following it because you're in such poor physical condition that you can't take the stress of the situation. And, you know, we do have students like that come to classes sometimes. And that's another one of those difficult conversations. You know, we have the conversation with guy number one, hey, that holster or that firearm isn't going to work. And then we have conversation with, you know, guy number two or guy number three and say, hey, you know, as cool as it is to come out here and train, you know, you are going to die of a heart attack before you get into a gunfight. You, you yep. understand that, right? You know, and, and this, it goes the same with the guys that are, uh, you know, smoking three packs of cigarettes a day. And, you know, uh, this is a free country and you are free to do what you want. But don't kid yourself if you're spending, you know, thousands of dollars a year on training and yet slowly killing yourself with, uh, with cigarettes doesn't make sense to me. We need to stick around here so we can protect the ones we love. That's right. That's absolutely right, Daniel. It, you know, it comes down to the simple fact of we can make a difference in the safety of our lives, our loved ones, and those that are around us. That's really what this whole conversation comes down. We make a difference. And these kinds of decisions we're talking about right now, those are those same kinds of decisions. It is a lifestyle. Yep. Completely. All right. Well, Paul, thanks for joining me on this episode of Gunfighter Cast. And I'm sure I'm going to catch hell from John because Paul was on. And John couldn't be up this late because he had to be at work very early in the morning. He couldn't join us next time. John, I miss you. I would like to have a podcast with you sometime. Call me. Well, I told John that, you know, he could have you auto himself. Like just, and he could also have gun dudes on gunfighter cast and he could have them auto himself too. I like that. So that way he feels better. (laughs) 
All right. Well, uh, listeners, thanks for joining us, and uh, hope you got something out of this episode. And please send us any feedback. You can email me at daniel at gunfightercast.com, and you can find Paul at www.safetysolutionsacademy.com or paul at safetysolutionsacademy.com. All right, look for the guy with the big cool beard. All right, Paul, thanks again. Hey, thank you, Daniel. See you later. Gunfightercast out. Gunfightercast is a Paratus Academy production. Copyright Paratus Academy 2013.